0: PowerCast with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Piedny.
1: So David, I guess we should tell our listeners about our visit to the rabbit hole. <laughs> I think it might be the bird nest. Well, of course, amongst the things we're going to talk about with Robert Hastings and Don Ecker is Robert's article about Operation Bird Droppings. Now since two I don't know if you call them notables or characters in the UFO field are mentioned. We strive to have them come on the show. We figured, you know, let's have all sides of the question be heard. Mm -hmm. Now, so I wrote to Robert Collins and I said, would you like to come on? He says yes. But then a certain show that now considers us rivals asked him if he'd wait a week. You know, first go on their show, then come on our show. And we gracious about it. We said, okay, that's fine. All right. Then we wanted to contact the other person of the amazing duo or the obstreperous duo or the two losers, depending on which point of view you want to take. I'm down. So you're down with it. I call Richard Doty. And I said, I understand you're going to be, and I'll mention it, on coast to coast. And he says, no, I'm not. Oh, well, that's what Robert Collins says. Well, no, I'm not going to be on that show. I said, well, okay, fine. I'm not going to be on any show with Robert Collins, and I said, that's fine. Would you like to come on a show, all by yourself? He says, well, uh, um, that's
0: kind of the attitude. I got a line from him last year when I spoke to him about coming on the show. Ended up talking to him on the phone for an hour and a half. So you'd think at that point he'd just come on and talk to us, right? Right, and you've already done seventy-five percent of a show. Well, he uh, he wouldn't. You know, he was very wishy-washy about the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, to call these guys characters, I think, is, is fairly appropriate. Because now, a day or two after uh, I talk to Dodie, you get a telephone call. From Bobby Collins, calling me up to yell and scream at me that how could I piss off Doty so much and how could I say such horrible things to him. and I'm like, uh, hey, Bob, what are you talking about? I think you might have the wrong number. He actually thought he was calling you. But he ended up calling me because I had left my phone number on Doty's answering machine before you, I think, before you spoke to him. So around and round it goes. And uh, basically, they both blew up on us. And in the end, they never showed up uh, with George Knapp either. They blew everybody off because they can't stand the heat, especially not our heat. I mean, you know, I'm sure Knapp would have had an interesting interview with them and he would have been uh, a gentleman. Like, right, but he's still a professional. You
1: know, we have to we're not going to denigrate George Knapp. He's a professional journalist. He won't ask hardball questions or difficult questions, but he'll probe. You know, he's
0: not going to shy away from probing. But he's not gonna he's not gonna do a paracast. No, of course not. No, that won't happen. So I, I had actually sent George an email saying, you know, uh, you want to have those guys on, have fun. We'd rather talk to Robert Hastings, an actual real researcher. And Guy looking into this stuff, not not a poser. Because at this point, this is something that I think we need to do today. I think we need to basically put this puppy to rest. Let's just get this whole thing over with. And I'm really curious at the end of these two hours uh, about how we're going to qualify where Dodi and Collins fall in the history of this whole thing. And let's take the 1% of signal they offer and get that out on the table. And then let's take the 98% of noise and let's just light it on fire and make a big bonfire and put this thing to rest. Because uh, these guys, I personally think, and, and we'll get to this at the end of the episode, but I think far too much attention has been paid to them. And let's spend an episode on this and file it away. Because there is no, I don't think there's any clues here to understanding the UFO phenomenon. Not with these two guys. But on the other hand, the two guys we have with us today, well, they have tons of good insight and information on the real deal.
1: Now, speaking of the real deal, the article in question, Operation Bird Droppings. Robert, would you tell our listeners briefly the purpose of this article, what you're covering, and how it came about?
2: Uh, Twenty years ago, I was involved in exposing a disinformation scheme that was being uh, run out of OSI, Office of Special Investigations at Kirtland Air Force Base, New Mexico. Uh, this group was involved with uh, spreading disinformation to throw people off the track relating to uh, UFOs in general and Roswell in particular. And uh, one of the key players then in the Air Force later uh, summer, summarily dismissed from OSI, but that's uh, another story. He, uh, Richard Doty, was involved with forging documents, uh, spreading lies, and generally muddying the waters regarding the Air Force's involvement with UFOs and, again, in particular, the Air Force's knowledge or the U.S. government's knowledge of the Roswell incident. The targets of this disinformation campaign uh, primarily were Linda Howe, a filmmaker who did some very excellent work, in my opinion, on cattle mutilations, but unfortunately was a little too gullible for her own good and was sucked into this hook, line, and sinker. Another person who was targeted by this disinformation operation was Paul Benowitz, who... Uh, had photographed bonafide UFOs above the Manzano nuclear weapons storage area. And in my view, that was one of the reasons he was targeted. Bill Moore, a civilian researcher, later admitted to most of what I published in my initial paper on the MJ-12 affair after first denying it all. In any case, uh, cutting to the chase, after a 20-year absence from this particular battle, I have now throw myself back into the fray and publish this article, Operation Bird Droppings, to let the people who are not privy to the first go around, who are either too young or were not interested in the 80s about all of this, who are still being confronted by crap that Doty and his cohort, Bob Collins, are spreading around, uh, just to, to advise them to be careful about what they accept at face
1: value. Fast question, Robert. How do we know that it's Collins and Doty that are doing this stuff?
2: Well, initially, they were involved in, uh, back in 89, October of 89, they were involved in a uh, very bogus TV program called UFO Cover-Up Live, and they were uh, presented as Condor and Falcon, names given to them by... Bill Moore, and even though their voices were altered and they were, in effect, backlit and you couldn't tell who they were, uh, a researcher named Todd Zeckel got to the producer, Michael Seligman, of the program and got him to admit on tape that, indeed, the persons who who were presented as Condor and Falcon were, in fact, Doty and Collins, and we can get into this in the course of this program, but uh, they uh, were up to their necks in disseminating bogus documents and other not viable information relating to this group, supposedly called MJ-12, uh, for which there is no credible evidence of its existence.
1: Fast question here, too, and that is, okay, Are these two being maybe modern-day equivalents of Gray Barker and Jim Mosley and just private people, even if they've had former military credentials, doing this nonsense? Or are they doing it under the control of some military or civilian government agency?
2: Well, in March of 89, I published my first paper called the MJ-12 Affair, Facts, Questions and Comments. And Bill Moore, after initially denying what I claimed in the program that indeed this was a disinformation program and that he was involved with working with OSI himself, after denying all of that on July first, nineteen eighty nine at the MUFON International Symposium in Las Vegas, Moore got up and confessed to virtually, well, 90% of what I said, and that, in fact, he had been recruited by OSI, an Air Force counterintelligence group at Kirtland Air Force Base, and in particular had been recruited by Richard Doty to assist in spreading this information regarding the MJ-12 matter, as well as spying on other civilian researchers. And so all of that was confessed. To. Um, as I said in my most recent article, Operation Bird Droppings, it's unclear, at least to me, whether currently Dody and Collins are officially sanctioned disinformation agents. Regardless, uh, or, you know, or whether on the other hand they are just doing this as a, a perpetuating a hoax. Regardless, uh, they in effect are spreading the same bogus information that they were spreading 20 years ago, uh, among other things. So, uh, it's, it's... It's not credible information, it's lies, if you want to cut to the chase. We can call it disinformation or a hoax, but it comes down to uh, what they're spreading are lies. And I have publicly referred to Doty and Collins as liars and frauds. I will continue to call them liars and frauds. Uh, whether they're disinformation out agents or hoaxers, I don't know. And I have said to them, if I am libeling or slandering them, they can... Sue me, and we'll get this out in a court of law when everybody's under oath and where lies become perjury, and we'll just see where everything falls out.
1: Now, Don, you knew William Moore. What is your assessment of his connection with this? Because of the fact that he admitted to doing disinformation, do you think he's tied in with the other two?
3: I think initially Moore was. I have serious doubts that Moore has anything going on with that today. And as far as today, and we're talking about 2009, as far as Doty and or Bob Collins having anything to do, uh, officially, I doubt it. Now, this is my own personal opinion, but I had some dealings with Collins about a year and a half ago, and it's my personal belief that he's too unstable today to be on anybody's official payroll. Uh, the guy is just quite off the wall, and uh, I, I, uh, I would find it hard to believe that uh, today he would be officially sanctioned by anybody within government. But like I said, that's my personal opinion.
1: So you take him as a lunatic fringe, to be blunt about it.
3: Absolutely, I take it as a lunatic fringe. I I can tell you exactly what it was that happened uh, with Collins if you're interested. uh, Sure. If you've got a minute or so. Sure. But somehow, after I officially left the UFO research field a couple of years ago, I got on a mailing list by a fellow out here on the West Coast by the name of Victor Martinez. And quite frankly, uh, when I receive mailings from him, uh, I'll just glance through the titles and, and 99% of the time I delete this stuff without even looking. But unfortunately, because my email was initially out there, my email address, uh, I guess he didn't know how to blind copy anybody. I started getting a lot of mail from a lot of different people, including Bob Collins. Now, Collins did have one or two things that he had sent out that I found mildly interesting. And a couple of years ago, I invited him to come on my then-on-the-air radio program, Dark Matters Radio. He came on. We had a semi-interesting interview. It was just Collins and myself. And afterwards, he sent me a uh, a copy of his book that he had recently written along with co-author uh, Richard Doty. Now, because he was former Air Force, and I kind of thought the guy was uh, initially okay, that he was kind of getting a bad rap from Victor Martinez, but, you know, looking at it all in hindsight, the majority of those people were, in fact, lunatic fringe
1: well, we we can Collins. go into Victor Martinez <laughs> on a whole episode. I don't know if it's worth it, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, Collins called me up. Unfortunately,
3: he, he had gotten a hold of my telephone number. So I talked to the guy, and uh, I had sent him a couple of military-themed emails that had been forwarded to me from some Vietnam buddies and suddenly i get this phone call from collins and he went absolutely off the wall at me calling me a right-wing fascist and what it was was a was a, uh, a video of some islamic jihadist executing a bunch of people and i had put a uh, a note on uh, the email when i had sent it forwarded to him that uh, this was what we had to be aware of today with this war on terror. And the guy just went absolutely crazy on me. He demanded that I send his book back to him. And, hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, what, where in the hell is this guy coming from?
1: Are you ready to order the official Paracast T-shirt, you asked? We answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast t-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back it says, separating signal from noise. It's just fourteen ninety five plus shipping in your choice of sizes. To order the official Paracast T-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card or PayPal to place your order for the official Paracast T-shirt. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and David. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com.
2: This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for
3: Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David
2: Biedney.
1: We have entered the realm of Alice in Wonderland. We have Don Ecker and Robert Hastings to kind of sort things out. But I wanted to ask you just one thing, actually mention one thing, and that is his co-authorship, Doty, of the book with Collins. When I talked to him, he denied he was the co-author and that... What happened is he had written some emails to Collins that Collins incorporated in the first edition of the book, calling Doty co-author. But in subsequent editions, his status was changed to contributor. Did you know that?
3: Yes, I did. I did. But the bottom,
1: the bottom line
3: on this entire thing with Collins, uh, I kind of see him. He, he was angry at me to begin with because he had a dial-up connection on his computer. You know, which you don't even think about those kind of things these days. And the video I had sent him was a couple of megabytes, and he was really P.O.'d about that. So finally I said, look, Collins, I'll tell you what. I'll make you a deal. I'm not going to send you my your book back because, number one, I'm not going to spend my money on the postage. You already sent it to me, and you autographed the damn thing. So if you think I'm sending it back, you can forget it. But if you want, I'll dispose of the book in my trash, and then you drop my email address, forget that I've ever talked to you, and we'll call it quits. Well, today, as a matter of fact, I, I was forwarded one of his emails, so I just see the damned uh, email from uh, from Collins and I delete it. You know what can I tell you? The guy, the guy is loose as a goose.
0: So here's a question I want to ask because I guess there are a lot of people who are listening to the show who are thinking, who, who are these guys? Why are we talking about? Robert Collins and, and Rick Doty. and and I wonder and I'd like you to, to answer this Robert what what is it about these guys that keeps them somehow in the conversation 20 years later is it that they both did indeed work for the government at some point in what appears to have definitely been some disinformation work does that make them part of the lore of this field forever um,
2: from my perspective um, the The mere fact that they continue to post information on the Internet uh, the mere fact that they continue to claim, uh, that they have inside information about, uh, government activities related to UFOs, that, uh, the MJ-12 documents are legitimate when there's overwhelming ev- evidence, both anecdotal and forensic, that they are forgeries and bogus as the day is long. As long as they're continuing to make these claims, there are people out there who don't know the background of the whole situation going back to the 80s, and I think need to be educated to some degree. I I mean, you can't change people's minds. There's a certain, as you call them, the lunatic fringe. There are a certain number of people in ufology, in the public in general, in general, uh, who are going to believe every UFO story that comes down the pike. They don't employ critical reasoning. They don't attempt to find out whether these stories have uh, factuality at their basis. At their base, uh, they don't look for primary sources who can corroborate uh, persons, eyewitnesses persons directly involved in the things that are being posted on a million different websites Mm -hmm. Uh, so that crowd is always going to be beyond uh, help in my view and I include Victor Martinez in that and I've told him so Uh, so there's there's going to be people who are always going to accept whatever they're told without any qualification. That's not my problem, and that's not Don's problem, that's not your problem. There's always going to be that element. But there are other people, uh, a large number of people, who really have an interest in UFOs but really have no sense of how do I get to you know weeding out the, the wheat from the chaff, uh, separating the signal from the noise. And as long as people such as Collins and Doty are continuing to make noise, uh, I think it's incumbent on me, someone who was involved in exposing the, the disinformation scheme early on, along with Barry Greenwood, Bob Todd, uh, Todd Zeckel, other researchers who are highly credible persons, uh, then I think I need to put my two cents in. As I said, um, I've devoted 35 years to Interviewing former and retired Air Force personnel regarding their involvement in, uh, UFO activity at nuclear missile sites, nuclear weapons sites in general, and that's where I'd prefer to be spending my time, but uh, in the 1980s, I was uh, communicating with Lee Graham, another researcher, uh, who was in direct contact with Bill Moore, and Bill Moore was providing him with copies of these so-called MJ-12 documents, uh, which are quite clearly fraudulent, and, um, you know, if anyone... Here's to look at the forensic evidence indicating that, that they are hoaxed. It's up there if, if people are interested. Um, in any case, uh, in the course of this conversation with Lee Graham uh, in about probably spring of 1987, he said that he was being provided these MJ-12 documents by a government operative. Uh, and I said, who is that? And he hesitated and then he said, Bill Moore. And I said, Bill Moore. I said, Bill Moore is a civilian researcher. What's, what are you telling me? And he said that Bill Moore had actually showed him a Defense Investigative Service DIS ID badge and Lee Graham had already been visited by two legitimate DIS agents because he started circulating uh, these MJ-12 documents. And, uh, so people were checking into whether these were, you know, leaked legitimate documents. In any case, he told me that Bill Moore had a badge that was carbon copy, identical to these uh, two DIS agents I had shown him previously, and it was Moore who was disseminating this MJ-12 bull. In any case, when I mentioned all of this in my first article published in March of 89, Bill Moore denied this, claimed that he had fabricated a DIS ID card, uh, from a Mufon badge and was displaying a joke on Lee Graham. Well, I stuck to my ground as, uh, you know, to turn my guns, uh, stood my ground and, uh, he eventually Confessed at more or less at this, uh, convention in in July of 89, in which he said that one of the persons he was directed by OSI, meaning Doty, at Kirtland to spy on was Lee Grant. So, Bill Moore, in addition to leading Linda Mouton-Howe astray and playing with Paul Benowitz's brain and uh, spying on the Lorenzans, you know, the researchers who founded the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, he admitted that he had been directed to keep an eye on Lee Graham. So, again, can I uh, I interject? Sure, go ahead.
3: I can verify everything that that, uh, Robert Hastings just said. I knew Lee Graham extremely well back in the early, the early 1990s. As a matter of fact, I had done in UFO, in pages of UFO magazine, a number of articles, including what appeared to be an actual government plot to have Lee Graham fired from his defense industry job at Aerojet. Now Lee Graham is kind of a funny guy, and and Robert, if you if you knew Lee, you I think you're going to verify what I'm about to say.
2: Uh, was, one, I hear what I hear.
3: Lee go was ahead. driven to find the truth, and he was literally a bulldog when it came to that. And he would go out on a limb. And the guy had a had a security clearance for his job. He worked on. Uh, defense industry satellites. And he was bound and determined at some point to find out the truth on whether these damned UFOs were in fact extraterrestrial, simply, uh, an illusion, uh, government projects, who knows what, but he was driven. And it was not only Lee, he also was in cahoots with a fellow by the name of Ron Reguerre. And together, they did uh, a lot of in-depth research. And when it came to filing Freedom of Information Act requests, to this day, I still have literally several huge garbage bags in my garage stored with Freedom of Information Act requests that Lee Graham uh, had submitted. And he copied me on almost every last FOIA request he put in. Now when it came to Bill Moore I tried to to advise Lee but it was like talking to a wall to be careful with what he was doing because Moore although I can honestly say that he never that I knowingly I had never caught him knowingly in a lie a couple of times I I when I was talking with Moore and I pinned him including one time when he told me that he was still considered a quote-unquote government asset i reported that in ufo magazine and after that particular issue came out i got a very very angry telephone call from him but hey look the guy admitted it if in fact he was working for the government why in the hell would you have said anything and one thing that never made sense to me and, and robert perhaps you may have some insight in this But it was when Moore committed professional suicide in July of 89 at MUFON by admitting all these things, including disinforming Paul Benowitz, which ultimately drove that poor guy into a mental hospital. Now, I tried at that time to get some people interested. And if I could have done it, believe me, I would have, to take the government legally, to task, if that, in fact, was a legally sanctioned intelligence operation mounted against Paul Benowitz, this was a case of the United States military intentionally doing harm to an American citizen under the guise of national security. It never made sense to me when that became public knowledge, why somebody didn't take that directly into federal court, and jam it right up their backside.
2: Let me agree with everything you said. Um, Lee Graham, the reason I was in touch with him was, uh, he had initiated freedom of information requests. Uh, relating to the so-called Big Sur case, which I have extensively investigated, this was the alleged shoot down of a dummy nuclear warhead, uh, in September of 64 by a UFO, which was captured on film by an Air Force photographic team. Now, I say alleged just to be as objective as possible, but Lee Graham had managed to, uh, get private correspondence between the two principals who were admitting to this, uh, then Lieutenant Bob Jacobs, now Don Dr. Bob Jacobs, who appeared on Larry King with me in July of uh, 2008, and. Rammed a lot up Bill Nye, the science guy's backside. And, uh, yes, and, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and the other character, uh, involved or the other person involved, uh, was then Major Florence Mansman, later Dr. Florence Mansman, who confirmed that as the photographic analyst at Vandenberg, uh, he did indeed review a film showing a, a dummy nuclear warhead flying downrange in the Pacific being approached and circled by a disc shaped UFO. With the dome, uh, which fired four beams of light at it, at it uh, whereupon it tumbled into the ocean. So Lee Graham had gotten all of this private correspondence between these two principals from the early 1980s and forwarded to me because I I told him I I was interested in nuclear weapons-related cases. So Lee did excellent work. Um, In fact, in my opinion, uh, the reason he was approached by Bill Moore and uh, fed all this bogus stuff about MJ-12 and Project Aquarius and all this other stuff is analogous to what happened to Linda Howe. Linda Howe had done some pretty interesting work, in my opinion. On cattle mutilations, Uh, she had a million-dollar contract with HBO to produce a documentary on the UFO cover-up. And all of a sudden, she's approached by Doty uh, at OSI Kirtland and fed all this BS and told that if she just holds off producing the film, they'll give her the film footage of the Roswell recovery operation and all this, you know, nonsense. And she swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. So I think the reason, besides, you know, you pointed out part of it, Lee was. uh, sticking his nose into things that his, even his own employers at Aerojet were leery of and uh, concerned about that he was asking questions about sensitive military projects above his pay grade uh, or beyond his level of classification, in addition to all of these other uh, things, uh, you know, UFO related things like the Big Sur case. So I think to try to neutralize him or throw him off the path or just make things complicated for him, Bill Moore was, in effect, directed to uh, approach Lee Graham and muddy the waters for him, which Moore partially admitted in Las Vegas in his,
1: quote, confession, confession speech. So maybe it wasn't a uh, full confession you, here, if we're...
3: Are you fellows aware of a a radio interview that Richard Doty conducted with Art Bell, in february of
1: i believe it was two thousand and five i'll tell you what let's leave that as a cliffhanger and i'll ask you to summarize it business travel is a profitability killer you know that so do more and travel less with go to meeting the easiest most affordable online meeting service with just a click launch sales presentations, training sessions, product demos, or collaborative sessions right from your desk. GoToMeeting is so easy to set up and use, you'll have your first meeting running in seconds. Plus, hold as many meetings as you want for one flat rate. Free VOIP and phone conferencing included try go to meeting free for 45 days for this special offer you must visit www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts that's www.gotomeeting.com podcasts for a free trial
0: you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never
1: know what's going to happen next. We have Robert Hastings and Don Ecker on. We're talking about UFOs and disinformation. So 2005, this must be one of the last shows that Art Bell did for Coast to Coast, right?
3: Uh, Well, he I'm sure you know he still periodically pops up occasionally on the weekend.
1: He just can't retire. It's like, you know, being a retired UFO researcher, you just can't stop doing it
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah once they you get out they pull you back in yeah <laughs> that's right but the uh, uh interview he did a he did three hours with bell now i'll tell you to be quite honest it had totally totally slipped my mind and uh a few weeks ago while once again at the behest of, of my lovely wife i was going through tons of stuff i still have here at the hacienda I came across this CD, and I pulled it out, and it said, Doty on C2C. And I said, what in the world is this? And I popped it in my computer, took a look at it, and it was an interview that Doty did back in February 2005. So more out of curiosity than anything else, I popped it in my CD player, and uh, I listened the entire show. Now, there was actually quite a bit of stuff in there, too much to basically distill down on this program, but the one thing that struck me, and and I can emphatically tell you I, I was sitting here snickering when I heard it, was his claiming that, well, and I'm paraphrasing, yeah, uh, our, you know, back in those days, uh, yeah, I, I did a lot of disinformation and, and, uh, I, I told people things that weren't true. And, you know, hey, it was my job. You know, I, I had to do my job. But, you know, today I'm telling you the truth. And, well, right. uh, you know, <laughs> this, this whole alien thing, ETs, you know, they're really here. And I got to tell you, I thought, you know what, pal? I wish to hell I would have gotten him on my radio show because we would have had some fun with him. But uh, this is, uh, if, if you hadn't heard this, I'll, I will be more than happy to, to get this to you.
2: I've heard about this, uh, and I'd love a copy, Don.
3: Well, uh, by golly, I'll get one to you, Robert. Uh, I, I, have
0: a que- I just want to ask a quick question from the sidelines here. Uh, again, just because like a lot of people, I, I, I want you guys to, to tell us more about sort of the foundations of some of these issues. This MJ-12 set of documents, so the idea generally is that these things were sent to uh, to Stanton Freeman and this guy, Jamie Shandera. is that correct?
2: Shandera got uh, rolls of film, which were uh, of the documents. Now, in my recent article, Operation Bird drop I have a link to paper that Brad Sparks delivered at the 2007 MUFON International Conference uh, Symposium, and uh, he has done, in my view, he and I don't see eye to eye on everything, uh, the Big Sur case being an example, but my hat's off to Brad Sparks on the work he did on uh, MJ-12 and exposing the relationship between Bill Moore and Doty and Collins, and uh, I, as I said, there is a link in my recent article to his very lengthy and extremely well-documented investigation of just what went on. Uh, To sum it up, basically, there was some interaction between Doty and Moore, at which point Doty was pumping Moore for information about what he knew about Roswell and so on. And uh at some point, I um, mean Spark's thesis or hypothesis is that once Doty had that information, he more or less fed it back to Moore in the form of forged documents. Dodie has admitted that he did forge documents. He forged what's called the Ellsworth uh... air force base hoax uh... supposedly in nineteen seventy seven the air force guards at a missile site up at ellsworth had a gun battle running gun battle with a an alien who uh, jumped the fence at a missile site and all this other horse manure that later was proven to be a hoax and uh... Bill Moore told Bruce McBee that Doty was up to his ears in creating that document and Moore even alluded to it in his confession speech and said yep Doty was involved with forging that uh, that bogus document. So all of that was going early on. So the, the premise is that Doty was pumping Friedman and and Moore for information that they had gathered about Roswell and then fabricated documents uh, incorporating some of that information, which was then sent back to Shandera. Um, now, I don't think all of that is proven in the the, the uh, empirical sense, but I think that's a, a pretty good working scenario. There are people like Barry Greenwood and Jan Aldrich who've done a lot of forensic work exposing the forgeries, the MJ-12 documents, talking about why they are clearly fabrications uh, for one reason or another, technical reasons. They're convinced, that the pair of them, Greenwood and Aldrich, that more possibly was involved with the forgery of these documents which again has and not been proven. And you notice
3: that many, many years ago,
1: Chandra made himself scarce from this entire field. What is he doing nowadays? We haven't heard from him in years. Now, of course, Bill Moore still writes to Jim Mosley every so often. I otherwise think he's out of it. As far as Stan Friedman, he's still saying to this very day that MJ-12, at least the core original
0: documents, are real.
2: I obviously disagree, um, and, you know, he and I have had, wrangled about MJ-12 for 20 years. Uh, there were some pretty uh, unpleasant episodes about 20 years ago that I won't get into. Uh, I think Stan has made major contributions to the field and so my hats off to him in that regard, but I think he uh, has fooled himself as to the veracity of the MJ-12 documents. Uh, just to cite one example, uh, there was, if I'm not mistaken, and again, I'm pulling this out of memory of distant events, but, uh, I, I wrote to the National Archives where one of these so-called documents was found, and I think it was the Cutler, what, what is called the Cutler-Twining memo, is that right, Don? Yes. Um, in any case, uh, Stan vouches for that, supposedly this document alluding to MJ-12 as a group was found in the National Archives, and Stan touts that as one of the legitimate documents, but if you talk to, uh, if, as I did, uh, wrote to the, the head of the National Archives, I have a letter from the gentleman whose name I can't pull up after 20 years, but I still have the letter, in which he said uh, that document had no reference number, as any document in the archives would. It was in an area that it shouldn't have been in and it wasn't even in a folder it was in between two folders and he said it was quite clearly planted there by somebody.
1: Okay it was planted there is this something that Dodien Collins did or Bill Moore did? Who is planning uh, it depends there? for on who
2: you ask. Sure. Uh, Bill Moore uh, admits that he was in the archives l- allegedly looking for MJ-12-related material, and after some point, and again, the chronology is something I'd have to go back and review, uh, what he claims and and what the archivist claims. Uh, I myself have a box of MJ-12-related material, to letters, documents, alleged documents, and so on. So I'd have to review all of that to be absolutely correct in what I'm about to say, but uh, my understanding is that Moore admitted that he had visited the National Archives and found this document. Um, you know, the, the clear implication, uh, according to the archivist, is that somebody planted that there. Uh, was not a, it did not have a you know an archival uh, reference number and so on as it should have and uh, again it was not in a folder it was stuck in between two folders so the National Archives has disavowed this for you know 20 years the one that Stan says is authentic one of the few authentic mj12 documents and the implication is that Moore may have been one of the people uh, who were Possibly the person who planted it. But again, uh, I don't think that's been proven. Somebody planted it according to the National Archives.
3: Well, you know, it's, it's funny when you talk about these types of ultra top secret documents. Now, I'm sure I mentioned before, uh, Gene and David, when, when I had appeared on your program in the past, that when I was in the army, I had a top security clearance with a crypto access. Okay. Now, all that means is that if in the course of my duties I was required to be exposed to to top-secret, up-to-crypto-access material, if I had a need to know, I would have been. Otherwise, I was just like anybody else, pretty much kept in the dark. But when you look at people like the woods with this continuous flow, of allegedly top secret documents that they are always receiving. You know, I, I, I got a smile at that. It strains credulity, if you know what I mean. A few years ago, I had been invited to go back to, uh, Bordentown, New Jersey to speak, uh, about some lunar research I was involved in. And, uh, my wife and I traveled back east. Uh, I appeared at this among other people that had come down to see me talk was uh, Ingo Swann of remote viewing fame. In between some of the speakers, uh, about six or eight people there, we collected in somebody's room, and we were just sitting around chewing the fat. Now, I'm not going to identify this person by name, but I will just say that this person's name is very familiar to anybody that's been following the woods, MJ-12 material. This is a name that crops up frequently. And one of the people told me, and this is, at the time, this was told to me in confidence, and that's another reason I don't want to release any names, but you will all remember, or you should remember, a number of years ago, about 15, 18 years ago, the... Marilyn Monroe Roswell papers that mm-hmm. were released. Do you recall that?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
3: Yeah. Robert, you remember that? Vaguely. Well, I yeah. was told by somebody in that room, in confidence, that the person that is today connected with the Woods had forged that document. For what reason, I have no idea. So you know, when you when you get a lot of that kind of information from various sources over the years. You begin to look at all that material with a very, extremely jaundiced eye.
2: I don't know who you're referring to and the person you don't want to name, but I will name somebody that's involved with the woods, and that's... Timothy Cooper, Timothy S. Cooper, who apparently uh, was responsible for sending a large quantity of these alleged MJ-12 documents, what I call MJ-12 2.0, the most recent ones that came out between 92 and 99. Timothy Cooper failed a lie detector test, uh, when he was asked whether or not he had been involved with fabricating the documents or otherwise, uh, you know, trying to perpetrate a hoax. After I published this article, Operation Bird Droppings, about a month ago, uh, he wrote to me and said he thought, uh, he, for the first time said he thought that the whole MJ-12 matter was a hoax. And that all the documents, even that the Woods were getting, some of which he sent to them, he claimed he got from, uh, I forget the person's name, but a, a supposedly a retired uh, military person. I'm drawing a blank on this guy, but uh, in any case, Cantwell, Cantwell, someone who supposedly was 90-ish years old gave him these documents or sent him these documents, which he then forwarded on ultimately to the Woods. I think Friedman was involved in the receipt of them. Uh, Friedman, in fact, rejects all of these latest MJ12 documents as forgeries. Well, for the first time, as a result of my recent article exposing all of this again or dredging it up again, uh, I have in my update, Operation Bird Droppings Update 1, which is online, um, emails. I've republished email from Tim Cooper in which he said he now believes these are all hoaxes and forgeries. So even the, the person whose primary uh, source of the information because this Cantwell guy has never surfaced. He probably doesn't even exist in my opinion. Um I think there's uh, lots of unanswered questions that Timothy Cooper needs to answer. I offer to pay uh... for a lie detector test a second lie detector test and cooper told me flat out about three weeks ago that he would not take one now in my view they are bogus it, you know the, the point needs to be made that neither of the woods are professional document examiners nor nor is Stanton friedman and, and yet uh, these three people are going on the air and on the internet and vouching for these documents as if they were authentic and there's really no forensic evidence to verify their authenticity.
3: I just want to tell Robert that I want to publicly give him a huge kudos for the work that he's done on that. And I believe I believe Gene or David both will tell you when, when they forwarded me your
2: uh, Operation Bird Dropping, I was blown away by that. I thank you, and um, you know I don't need to be the lightning rod here. I certainly didn't ask for this particular chore or task, but uh, you know I'd much rather spend my time on the nuclear weapons-related cases. But given the fact that. Because of information that I had gleaned from Lee Graham early on and other sources, I was in a position where I could in effect expose this disinformation scheme at Kirtland, uh, in which Bill Moore was ensnared, apparently, according by his own admission, Richard Doty, Sergeant Richard Doty, who was then an OSI agent. And so I felt that there were very few people, uh, um, who were in a position to know these things and therefore it was incumbent upon me to go public with what I had. And there was a point where Bill Moore was implying he would sue me and there was all sorts of pressure being put upon me. Uh, Friedman wrote me a nasty letter saying, you know, you have no idea what you're talking about and you're grandstanding and all of this. And yet within, uh, three months, Moore confessed to most of what I've said. So again, um more recently, I felt after a 20 year absence staying out of the battle, But realizing that supposedly a new batch of MJ-12 documents were surfacing and being widely circulated on the Internet and being vouched for by people like the Woods, I thought it was time for me to put in my two cents again. So, you know, I would just so soon move on to other things. But I I think this is, you know, now that now that uh, the subject has been brought up again and is getting some widespread uh, discourse and and circulation uh, online, I think it's time for people to be educated as best as possible to be very wary of the uh, material called MJ-12.
1: Fate magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. talking with folks who put in more than their two cents and that's Robert Hastings and Don Ecker. And mentioned here of course is Robert Wood PhD and Ryan S Wood and they're also responsible for these annual crash retrieval conferences and they've been involved in books and sites and articles about MJ12. Tell our listeners whoever wants to jump in on this Can you maybe define these two people, these two individuals, more as to their involvement in the field? Is that it, fundamentally, strictly MJ-12 kind of research?
2: I'll let Don take that one.
3: Well, they've also done some work on what various presidents over the years knew. You've got to remember, it's been quite a while since I've been by their sites perusing the material online, Actually, guys, i got to be very honest with you. It's been literally a couple of years since I've done any mundane UFO-type research. When I dropped out of the field, really the only thing that I've continued to do with any frequency is some work that I've been doing on a project involving lunar transient phenomena. So it's been a while since I've done that. But basically, everybody should know what the original MJ-12 papers were. And, and you know, I, I feel actually a little more comfortable talking about that. But those documents, when they were received, were originally claimed to have been a briefing document prepared in late 1952 for incoming President Dwight Eisenhower... Uh, which basically was concerned with the crash of a, of an extraterrestrial craft at Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. So, uh, a lot of the Woods material, when they started releasing that a number of years ago, you know, I, I years ago had written off the original MJ-12 papers. Uh, and although I, I do believe that in the event the craft at Roswell was extraterrestrial. I have no doubt that the United States government, the United States military, and American intelligence officials would have put together a, a uh, governing body, perhaps very similar to what MJ-12 was alleged to have been. But I've never believed the original MJ-12 papers represented anything that actually happened. So you know that that's a uh, a matter of, of dispute to this day as as Robert will tell you with people like Stanton Friedman. But uh the woods material including a a document that was released and and Robert you may you may refresh my memory on this it was called SOM 101 or something like that.
2: Correct. Yes, uh SOM one or excuse me one one and it purportedly was a revised military manual for the recovery of UFOs directing recovery yes. groups uh, how to engage in that let me let me echo what Don just said in my view. Uh, based on the testimony of Jesse Marcel, the uh, base intelligence officer at Roswell Army Airfield, based on the testimony of his son, uh, who actually handled some of the material, based on statements made to be uh, by a man named Chester Lytle, who worked for the Atomic Energy Commission and was personal friends with Colonel Blanchard, uh, later General Blanchard, uh Base commander of Roswell Army Airfield, based on testimony of all those persons, I think indeed we did recover a crashed extraterrestrial craft. Uh, Kevin Randall has also interviewed on the record uh, General Arthur E. Exxon, Brigadier General Arthur A. Exxon, retired. As did t- I, Robert, by the way. Okay. I interviewed so we have a handful of credible sources who are saying that the U.S. government did indeed recover an alien spacecraft and bodies in July of 1947, and I've devoted a whole chapter of that testimony in my book, UFOs and Nukes, on Roswell and the testimony of the credible sources. So I agree with Don that uh, we did indeed recover an object, that there was a high-level top secret, above top secret group uh, tasked with analyzing both the craft, the bodies and the implications of the, the development. Uh, but there is not one shred of forensic evidence or credible testimony uh, after 20 years to indicate that it had anything to do with the alleged group called MJ-12. That is entirely a fabrication based on the available evidence uh, by, uh, by somebody if not OSI at Kirtland. Uh, again, I have said that some people Barry Greenwood, and Jan Aldrich have implicated Bill Moore. I don't know the truth of the matter. All I know is that, uh, and I've maintained this for some time, we will not get to the bottom of who actually fabricated these things uh, until everyone is in a court of law under oath. I do know that Doty has admitted to fabricating documents, apparently with Art Bell, but I have a, a source who I'm not going to identify at the moment who also will testify under oath that Doty confirmed to him that he had forged documents. More recently, on uh, Bob Collins' website, there is a purported document dealing with another event at uh, Ellsworth Air Force Base, another alien encounter. I sent that to one of my own legitimate retired Air Force missile targeting sources who said it's entirely bogus. It's an obvious forgery. So even 20 years down the road now, we have, if not Doty, involved in that direct forgery. We have one of his colleagues. Bob Collins, posting on his website a clearly forged document relating to U.S. involvement at nuclear weapons sites. Uh, I think that was the trigger for me this time around. Uh, when I read this alleged document about a year ago, it just pissed me off. I spent 35 years tracking down uh, bona fide, retired and, and a former military sources who were involved in nuclear weapons-related cases, and then to have some of this trash pop up on Bob Collins website told me it was time for me to take another crack at these guys. Uh, let me interject here before this, this fails to get mentioned somewhere in the course of this, this program. In the first edition of, uh, Exempt from Disclosure in 2006, I believe it was, this co-authored book by, uh, Collins and Doty, Doty, in black and white, claimed that he completed law school and had passed the New Mexico bar exam. In other words, he could be an attorney if he wanted to. Now, some researchers under the banner of Reality Uncovered back in uh, 2005 or 6. I'd have to read my own article, but in any case, they contacted the uh, New Mexico uh, University of New Mexico and found out that Doty never attended law school there, as he claimed, never passed a bar exam, and therefore we have what, unless he's retired in, in, more recently, and I'm un- unaware of it, we have an active-duty New Mexico state policeman lying in print and on the Internet about being uh, a law school graduate and having passed the bar exam. Now, all of that was brought to Bob Collins' attention, after the first book was published. Uh, Two more editions of that book have been published, the most recently last year in 2008, in which Doty is allowed to make in black and white the same claim, that he's passed uh, the bar exam in New Mexico. So Collins had brought to his attention two years ago or more that Doty was fraudulently passing himself off as a law school graduate, and yet Collins did nothing about it. So when I make the claim, when I make the statement... That Richard Doty and Robert Collins are liars and frauds. They are. They are conspiring to pass bogus information about Doty's credentials, about the uh, sources of their information, about the legitimacy of their information. And I'm taunting them. I'm, I'm challenging them to sue me for slander and libel. I will continue. Telling anyone who will listen that these guys are bad news and not to be believed. Now, Don has had first-hand conversations with uh, Collins and says he's a little squirrely. Well, let's throw that into the mix. We'll sort it out. But you know th- what they what they have uh, is nothing that anyone wants to hear unless they're both under oath
1: <laughs> or under some kind of influence of a drug. Uh, whatever. <laughs> By the way, for those who want to read the Operation Bird Droppings article, where can they find it?
2: Uh, It was posted initially at UFO Chronicles, but if you went to Google, it's been been reprinted or uh, linked on dozens of sites at this point. So if one searches Google for my name, Hastings, and Operation Bird Droppings, uh, one will find it any number of places.
0: And Gene, it's also uh, linked on the Paracast forums as well. That's right so okay. there are many places where one can find
1: links then of course we appreciate having robert hastings and don ecker both as active participants in the powercast forums at forum.thepowercast.com and before we break for the hour we'll mention one more thing david Biedney is not on twitter but there is a twitter section called the powercast so if you want to follow us understand David won't follow you but I might okay because I do occasionally participate in Twitter so that's where it is the powercast it's on Twitter and in the next hour we'll hear more from Robert Hastings and Don Ecker about UFOs and disinformation and maybe some ideas how you people can avoid falling into the traps of believing any of this nonsense on the other side of the powercast
0: welcome back to the powercast with Gene Steinberg and David Yening. We're back on the second hour in our bird droppings episode with our friends Robert Hastings and Don Ecker. So here's the thing, guys. Uh, As we talk about this, something I wanted to ask before that uh, got a little off track. It seems like if we go back to the reasons for why MJ-12 was released by these guys, whoever it was who actually typed up the documents, and I want to ask another question about, The whole forgery issue but is it reasonable to assume for a moment that one of the primary reasons for that thing being released was to potentially try to harm stan friedman's credibility in the field and perhaps the reason he clings to this so vehemently is that he doesn't want to essentially admit that he might have been duped is that an unreasonable assumption
2: this is robert in my opinion i think there is some merit to that argument um, you know, Sam may be very sincere about what he believes uh, regarding these MJ-12 documents, but there's so much forensic evidence and anecdotal evidence uh, in terms of the persons involved with forging this, that, and the other associated with MJ-12 that it seems to me that he's being quite illogical and unreasoned, unreasonable in clinging to his claims that these are legitimate. Uh, virtually no one else in the community, the research community, agrees with him except the Woods who, again, um, you know, it's it's like he accepts the authenticity or claims or vouches for the authenticity of the original documents, despite what the National Archives says about one of those. And at the same time, he thinks that all of the MJ-12 documents that the Woods are touting are bogus. Um, and the Woods, you know, think that they're legitimate. So you've got three people, none of whom are professional document examiners, uh, concocting, and probably, you know, sincerely, what they believe to be uh, tenable arguments for the legitimacy of the documents, and uh, you know, no one else, uh, virtually no one else, who are what you would call professional ufologists or long-term ufologists, agree with them. They're they're you know they're out on a limb basically. Um, you know, I know that in his recent rebuttal to my Operation Bird Droppings article, he said he was disappointed, uh, which is a much more mild or re- reaction than he was than he had 20 years ago when I published my first paper on MJ12. Uh, but he said he was disappointed in in the fact that I was throwing the baby out with the bathwater, or had. Painted uh, things with too broad a brush, I think was his expression. Um, but interestingly, at the end end of his brief rebuttal, he's, he admitted that there had been games been played by uh, Moore, Doty, and Collins, and that he did not disagree with my, uh, some of what I said about the, the chicanery that's gone on. So for Stan, that, that in and of itself is a, a bold admission.
0: So along those lines, though, now we get back to the documents for a moment. So we have these documents that are fairly conclusively proven to be forgeries. That makes me wonder about something, guys. Um, if you're going to the trouble, let's say you were doing this as a, an actual internally government internally driven disinformation campaign, which is a, obviously a much bigger topic as well as to why such an effort would exist. I think a lot of people have questions about that. But if you're going to this effort, would you not forge these documents with some degree of care and craftsmanship with the idea that such documents would certainly be intensely scrutinized by whoever got a hold of them or whoever else got a hold of them besides who you initially sent them to? And wouldn't they then have to assume that the forgeries would be revealed?
3: David, you've got to go back to when the first MJ-12 documents were released, which was in very, very late 1987. Moore had those, and they went up on on CompuServe. Now, almost immediately, before anybody barely had time to take a breath, the infighting began. And I can remember this vividly, because that was, in essence, my entry into the overall UFO thing. I can remember people like Richard Hall, and people in MUFON, the pros and the cons, and Bill Moore uh, and Shandara taking, uh, you know, umbrage at, at people basically questioning this. And you had people that jumped, just like today, jumped on the bandwagon immediately buying it hook, hook line, sinker. And then when things like the uh, UFO cover-up live special came out, in October of 88, which seemed to, uh, and I can remember people like Lee Graham uh, getting this two-hour show, going through it literally frame by frame, and I can remember him coming to me, telling me about a graphic that had been up in that uh, uh, presentation of an alien, and uh, going over the various things, he had a printout of this thing, telling me, well, now, this, this ties in with this. Do you remember an MJ-12 and they were talking about? I mean, and it basically created such a circus atmosphere. I question on really how meticulous the architect of that really had to be, knowing the, the audience, basically, that they were playing to. Would you, would you uh, agree with that, Robert?
2: Uh, if I understand your point um, you know i, I the, the 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 thing that that particular program is both both uh, is best known for is the fact that one of the birds and again i 'd have to look at the video i 've got it on dVd one of them uh you know voice altered and backlit it was either dote or Collins made the claim that there was a live alien at Los Alamos who uh, had imparted information to his, his government captors over the years, one of which, uh, some of which was that the aliens love Tibetan music and strawberry ice cream. And right. that is, you know, that is the infamous quote that is usually associated with that bogus program. But, um, you know, there were people who um, jumped on the bandwagon, as you said, and really did not scrutinize uh, the credibility of the information as best as possible. Uh, I won't name this person, but someone who is a highly respected ufologist admitted to me recently that he had been gullible uh, and could not believe that he had been that gullible. Let's put it that way. And uh, so there was a bit of that going on. Again, that that kind of response, which I was reading in uh, the MUFON journal and other publications, Made me feel all the more that I had to go public with what I knew about uh, Lee Graham telling me about Bill Moore testifying, uh, Bill Moore uh, presenting himself as a DIS agent, and so on, and that something quite funny was going on. So that uh, people needed to know about. I think uh, to get back to, I think it was Gene's point or David's point. Um, I think that if these uh, were part of an official disinformation scheme and if Doty or someone similar was involved, and the intention was to muddy the waters about Roswell since primarily the content had to do with the recovery of the Roswell object, mm-hmm. um, I think the fact that uh, these documents did have flaws and would ultimately be uh, outed, so to speak, uh, discredited because of uh, acronyms or other types of informational flaws, might have been part of the intent, you know, it, uh, there's suddenly all this information supposedly confirming the Roswell recovery, and yet a few months down the road it would be discredited because of historical errors or forensic errors and evidence and so forth, and that was part of the overall intention, that it would go well. How
3: many people would, would throw their hands up and just say, the heck with it, and walk away? These people
2: Precisely. Are crazy uh you know, the the throw the baby without out with the bathwater and say, well these Roswell documents which everyone said were legitimate it turned out to be bogus, therefore the Roswell story itself has to be bogus. Now that's one scenario that you know, one could weave. My understanding uh, is that, you know, that this paper that Brad Sparks presented, and again, I urge everyone to read it. It's linked in my article, Operation Bird Droppings, but Brad, Brad Sparks was operating with or working with, as was Barry Greenwood. They initially were going to present a joint paper, and there was a falling out. In any case, uh, they were relying on tape recordings that Bob Pratt, the journalist, had made with Bill Moore uh, sometime before the papers It really came out the mj-12 papers in the early eighties and apparently my understanding is that there is some pretty explosive uh information on those tapes between moore and pratt in which moore was saying things to the effect that um you know if if there was only a document relating to roswell that would surface you know if we could only get a document relating to roswell uh to appear that would get everyone's interest you know congress the uh, journalism community and so on and so forth lo and behold within a year or two a document about roswell's services you know they and, wish
1: uh, it was their command
2: uh, yeah and again uh, i don't think there's any clear proof at this point uh, who actually forged these documents whether uh, it was Moore as some people contend whether it was Doty as some people contend? but clearly there was this this uh, interplay between Doty and Moore where uh, Doty was apparently pumping him and Friedman indirectly. I think uh, for information about Roswell and then lo and behold these documents surface with some of the same information that Moore and Friedman were conveying to Doty and Sparks goes uh, into a at length, uh, as to the, the the chronology, the chain of events, and so on, and presents a very peruse, persuasive case, in in, in my opinion. Um,
3: in looking so. at looking at it in hindsight, one has to ask themselves why a government operative would have sent explosive documents like this, providing, of course, they were legitimate, to an unknown entity like a TV producer like uh, like Jamie Chandra
2: why him well yeah exactly that that's an unanswered question but uh and taking into account also uh the fact that Chandray was already a colleague of Bill Moore uh aha aha ha. so you know there's already these preexisting relationships before the papers are mailed you know so uh, it, lots of unanswered questions um, you know but I think it's if you look at what has emerged objectively, you've got overwhelming forensic evidence from the late Bob Todd, uh, Barry Greenwood, and others indicating that these documents are forgeries. Chan Aldrich uh, got sort of sidetracked a while back when we were talking about this alleged manual for the recovery operation, one of the documents that uh, Timothy Cooper forwarded to uh, ultimately the Woods. Uh, supposedly di- directing military people how to recover an alien spaceship. Well, in my Operation Birds, Bird Droppings article, uh, I've devoted two pages or so to Jan Aldrich's critique of why that is absolutely bogus as the day is long. And Jan Aldrich, in his army career, was involved with creation of manuals, the review of manuals, and, uh, he itemizes his Professional expertise in uh, his knowledge of of Army manuals, military field manuals, and he said there's no question uh, that that document is totally bogus, and he itemizes the reasons, which I've reprinted. Now that's the same um, one of the same key documents, quote unquote, that the that the Woods are saying, oh, it's absolutely legitimate, and you know here's why, and um, but. Again, who is the expert? Aldrich is the expert. And he says it's bogus. The Woods, who have no expertise in that field, are claiming that it's not. So you know you have to pick your sources and decide uh, whether you're going to believe someone who has a knowledgeable, informed opinion of these topics, or somebody who is just an enthusiastic advocate for a point of view, but really have no expertise to back up their claims. <laughs>
1: Are you ready to order the official Paracast T-shirt? You asked, we answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast T-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back, it says, separating signal from noise. It's just fourteen ninety five plus shipping in your choice of sizes. To order the official Paracast T-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card or PayPal to place your order for the
0: official Paracast T-shirt. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, Send your messages to news at That's news at And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too.
1: We're talking to Robert Hastings and Don Ecker, UFOs and disinformation. And let me throw this out for the panel. Answer as you wish. We have Stanton Friedman, who has for many years said that at least one or two of the MJ-12 documents are genuine. Now, if he were to come down today and say, you know what, I was fooled. Would he be willing to do that or has he invested so much of himself and his credibility into this possibility? Does that put him in a very shaky position to now say, you know what, it was fake all along?
3: I, let me answer this first. I would say, and I've known Stan since the late eighties, I, it's my opinion that Stanton is so totally, absolutely 100,000% invested in MJ12 that he'll go to his grave saying MJ-12. He would never disavow what he's done with it, in my opinion.
2: I don't disagree with that, and uh, again, I think uh, it's unfortunate, in my opinion, uh, that he has found himself in this position, and again, uh, as I said earlier, whether this was touched upon. I, I think uh, I don't read minds, and so I will assume that he's sincere uh, in his uh, endorsement of these things, but it's in the face of so much contrary evidence that he certainly is not responding in what I consider to be a rational or uh, justifiable manner. Um at the same time I think it's important uh I remember when I saw him lecture when I was still in college, probably in nineteen seventy one or seventy two, and you know, he he has you know, you have to admit that he has done uh Tremendous good in terms of presenting the UFO phenomenon to uh, the public at large and the scientific community. So my hat's off to him, as I said before. In that regard, I just think that he was, as was Linda Howe rather, and uh, Paul Benowitz and others. The Woods, I think, uh, he has been sucked into something that uh, it really will not stand the test of
0: time, and uh, that's unfortunate. Is that part and parcel though of being involved? with this field for more than 10 minutes. I mean, it seems like no matter what case you grab a hold of, and no matter how rock-solid it seems, every one of these cases seems to have some sort of fatal little Trojan horse in it. (laughs) The,
3: The problem with this, and most people are not, I think, psychologically capable of what I'm about to what I'm about to impart. You have to be ready at any moment to completely disassociate yourself from something if it turns out to be a hoax or or, uh, disinformation or basically crap. I cannot begin to tell you how many people over the years I've interfaced with that have come forward with information that just absolutely did not pan out and they basically were willing to go to their their graves, you know, claiming that it was the real McCoy, the real thing. All we got to do is look at something as ludicrous as the Billy Meyer material. Uh. How many people have absolutely gotten almost almost violent over something that is so apparent to me, at any rate, as being absolute balderdash? And I'm, I realize this is a a family program, or I'd use
0: a, a no, stronger... No. Yeah, we, we, we are so with you on this, and this is part of this issue of, um, it's almost as if people would rather not be wrong than be right. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like they're, they're more I- interested in protecting huh, their, their fragile egos versus admitting, okay, you know what? Maybe I am wrong about this thing, So uh, uh, whether or not I was right about it to begin with, okay, I'm not, I was wrong. But people don't want to be wrong and they would do anything almost not to be wrong. It it seems to me like if you're a researcher, one of the core premises of, of, of doing real research is that you have to be willing to, if you hit a wall where you see that something is obviously not panning out, and not only that's not panning out, that you've been incorrect in some assumption or some part of your hypothesis reasonable scientists would say okay you know what i did the experimentation <laughs> i subjected this question to the scientific method and it, and it didn't pan out now i must move on to other things and it's almost as if people find it almost impossible in this field to move on to other things they just get stuck in something in some cases for commercial reasons in some cases for reasons of, of fragile egos in some cases, just because they 're being human beings it 's almost as if this isn 't well it 's not almost as if this isn 't a scientific endeavor for a lot of the people involved with it it 's i won't
2: disagree i won 't disagree <laughs> with uh, what you 've just said. Um, I would point out though in science in mainstream science, uh, there is certainly an analogous situation where any number of renowned scientists who have invested their entire careers and reputations in a given point right. of view in a given field uh, once evidence is is uh, amassed and presented that overturns their cherished lifelong work they're just as resistant and just as in denial deep denial as anyone in ufology the Clovis Clovis uh, culture is one example uh, for years and years mainstream archaeology and Anthropology thought that uh, the Clovis people, the Clovis Point people, uh, who were here uh, about 12,000 B.C. uh, were the first people from abroad to be in the Americas. And for the last 20 or more years, there's been overwhelming evidence developed that uh, all through the northern and the southern hemisphere in the Americas, There was human habitation here going back to 20 and 30,000 B.C., and yet the Clovis points people uh, have just stuck to their guns and just, you know, in the face of overwhelming evidence. Robert,
3: I can think of one particular woman. I believe she was an anthropologist that made a discovery down in Central America, if if my memory is correct, and her entire academic career was ruined because of her findings and i'm sure that that's exactly what you're talking about
2: well it's it's true you know um... as uh... the point was being made that there are so many instances in ufology where uh, what seemed to be a solid case was ultimately discredited. I would simply, in my own defense, say that there are exceptions to that, and I think if one looks at the work that I presented, it's been very conservative, very nuts and bolts. I've spent 35 years interviewing now over 100 retired Air Force personnel. I've checked their credentials. I have their service records. I know they were at the bases they said they were at in the squadrons, and they've now come forward and talked about UFO activity at New nuclear weapons sites, including disruption of nuclear missile systems and uh, even the activation apparently of Minuteman missiles temporarily in one instance. So what I have done is, uh, unlike some of these other cases where, for example, you have alleged government sources, insiders who need bird names, can't, uh, you know, present their case uh, under their own identities until they're exposed, like Falcon and Condor, I'm thinking of obviously, or cases like Bob Lazar. I don't know what to make of Bob Lazar. You know, we have these intriguing tales. George Knapp is a very professional journalist. He's investigated the story of the alleged UFOs up at Area 51 or S4, according to Bob Lazar. But again, you're dealing with a single source, in essence, making a dramatic claim. Whereas, on the other hand, uh, I have over a 100 people, uh, from airmen to colonels, talking about various instances, and you've got a much broader base of, of credible sources to deal with. Uh, so I don't know what to think about Bob Lazar. I wish there were other credible sources who could come out and confirm his story. Uh, maybe I have lost the thread of those particular uh, tales, but I, I'm unaware of anyone else who's been able to verify what Bob Lazar has said over the last 20 years.
0: Boy, the silence that erupted over that. <laughs> well there's some names that you hear associated with this that you have to wonder about and and I know in my own consideration of this whole topic you just have to throw aside and thank goodness nobody's brought up uh, John Lear yet (laughs) but another one another one of these names that's that is in the same pool of people and so I keep coming back to this guys. are we ever going to be in a place where we can take these people and just put them to rest. And, and I want to get back for a moment to Dodie and Collins because something I intimated at, at the beginning of the show. All right, we know that these guys basically uh, are not putting out much information that we, we consider credible. So then we, we, we dig down into that and we, we, we ask why. Why have these two guys devoted so much time to actively spreading nonsense? What's driving this? Why do they? Did do you this? ever? Did you ever consider that? And and as a matter of
3: fact, it was uh, John Keel that mentioned this to me almost twenty years ago. That UFOs is in effect a mental illness.
0: Well, <laughs> here's the thing about that. I think that for people who have the experience of, for example, seeing a quote-unquote real UFO, what I would consider to be a legitimate UFO experience, I think that you'd be hard-pressed to ignore the fact that having such an experience, a real experience, I think will have detrimental emotional effects, long-term effects on the person going through that experience. I think that it's fair to say that any sort of intense paranormal experience of any sort, that again you can't attribute to a psychological or mental manifestation something that multiple people witness uh, solid physical stuff, stuff that you, you can't put into the basket of perceptual distortion, stuff that in some objective way actually happened. I think it's clear to me as someone who falls right into that box, as someone with more than a few paranormal episodes in my life, including some rather dramatic UFO sightings, that there's no question that this messes with your mind. It's sort of, it, it, it's expected, I mean, to have this kind of a jarring experience. This is when, by the way, I know that I'm hearing genuine accounts of things like UFO sightings, when people you know, talk about these things as, ooh, the light came down and it bathed me in love and the tall Nordic creatures came and hugged me and served me pastries and told me that uh, we needed to, to be good to the planet. A very nice message, but um, to me that is a less than genuine response to an extremely anomalous and paranormal event. I think a, a reasonable, rational human response is fear. Some wonder and a lot of fear. And so when I, when I think about that amount of fear that's involved, yeah, Don, I, I think that getting involved with the UFO field can be bad for your health, and on, on the other hand, for a lot of these people, who I mean, some of the more prominent names in the UFO field today are people who have never seen a UFO. And outside of the issue of human curiosity and mysteries, I find it hard to understand why someone who's never had the direct experience would devote some major amount, some majority amount of their time to this topic. That eludes me. I think that's almost more of a mental illness. That's someone who's had the experience and now is trying to investigate any amount of the reality behind the experience. You understand, David, when you say that I've never seen a UFO?
1: Yeah. Okay, so therefore, right. okay, so we all both or you're a little in. broken. You're a little broken. That's uh, right. probably a lot broken.
2: Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer for the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bizarre, sent to you via snail now. And all you have to do is email me at Mr. UFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net, and we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications and you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field, as well as up to date information on the latest book and videos. And it's all for free. Or drop us a line, Mr. UFO at WebTV.net. This is the Paracast with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Bietney.
0: You never know what's going to happen next.
1: It's not broken to tell everybody we have Don Ecker retired UFO researcher who keeps getting back into the game, at least for discussions with us or in the PowerCast forums, and Robert Hastings who wrote UFOs and Nukes. We're talking about UFOs and disinformation. And someone who is a little controversial, but he made the statement anyway, that was Bill Burns, suggested that the government doesn't have to hide UFO information. They just have to kind of muddy the waters a little bit, spread a little garbage in there. So, of course, it gets difficult to figure out where the garbage is and where the genuine information is. Thus and so, (laughs) they don't have to do anything to stir up the waters. As long as there's somebody out there by the name of Richard Doty or Robert Collins or in years past, even Mosley and Barker, perhaps, they don't have to do anything. The UFO field will remain a mess.
0: But now, Mosley and Barker weren't getting government paychecks. How do you know? Uh, well, you're right. I don't know. Yeah, let's look at it this way. You know, part of the theory about
1: Mosley is that he was the son of a former deputy chief of staff of the Army, Major General George Van Horn Mosley. And that's true. You know, so in a sense, he was just kind of an Army brat. Now, yes, we assumed him to be kind of a liberal-minded kind of person, kind of a bohemian type of character who grew up in New York and New Jersey in the 1950s and everything. But we look at this background and we say, wait a minute, he also
0: came out and said that UFOs were really secret weapons in those days. Gene, you're going off on a tangent that I think is not relevant to this question, all right? I'm I'm just throwing it out for you. No, I I understand, and, and it's all good and fine, but it's a diversion. And I want to get back to the central question of, if you had a guy like Doty, if you had a guy like Collins, these guys, and it's in the, certainly in the case of Doty, the government efforts seem to be behind his doing what he was doing. Taxpayer money David. paid this guy. Okay.
2: This is Robert. Let me interject something there. Uh, Please. There are people I've been in touch with in correspondence, um, and in private conversations, um, over the last 20 years who know more about my sense of the MJ-12, uh, matter than I have published or hitherto talked about publicly on radio. So let me just, uh, drop something on you that, that in my mind is, is, uh, you know, pertinent and I think reinforces the idea that this is more of a general disinformation operation that was going on uh, than some private hoax, uh, some money-making scheme, although certain elements of that may, can't be ruled out entirely. But around the time all this stuff was brewing, uh, I was developing sources from October of 84 on, I developed a handful of sources who worked at or had just retired from Sandia National Laboratories, which is one of this nation's largest nuclear weapons labs. And given the nature of my research, what I was attempting to do is get these persons to go on record about UFO activity that they were aware of being involved with the U.S. uh, Nuclear Weapons Program, testing in Nevada and all of that, weapons development in Albuquerque. These persons, as I mentioned mention in my book uh... devolved some very dramatic things that had gone on in the nineteen fifties uh... involving ufos being sighted at the nevada test site just as we were detonating atomic weapons uh... chad lytle who uh was the the friend of Blanchard, Colonel Blanchard at Roswell, that I mentioned previously. He also confirmed that pilots who were photographing these detonations were reporting UFOs on a semi-regular basis at the Nevada test. I clearly, again, reinforcing this idea of an atomic nuclear link. In any case, shortly after I got in touch with these guys and over the course of about two years between '84 and '86, and was getting some pretty interesting stories from them, uh, suddenly Bill Moore called up one of them and told him I was a CIA agent and to be careful. Now, I still don't know how Bill Moore knew I was talking to this individual, uh, but he obviously had learned it one way or the other and was attempting, in, in my view, to Freeze the relationship between me and this person, so he would no longer uh, talk to me. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. Uh, this individual uh, got cold feet and, and suddenly wouldn't answer my questions anymore. And that little uh, paranoia spread amongst the group of people I made contact with. And it took me many years for to get their trust back and to get them talking to me. Coincidentally, or, or, or concurrent, I should say, with all of that going on, I found out that there was an individual who had retired from the Air Force, I believe, in 1983. But in any case, there was a man at Kirtland named Colonel Ron Blackburn, and this is the first time I've talked about him publicly, who was spreading similar stories to what uh, Doty and Collins and Moore were telling Denowitz and Linda Howe, that there were joint U.S. alien missions, that we've flown spacecraft together to various planets and all of this horse manure. This same information was being directed at my Sandia sources by this Colonel Ron Blackburn who uh, later went to work at the skunks works now I do not know if he was uh, just a BS artist who was leading these guys on or if he had been officially tasked with spreading this kind of nonsense and um, you know trying to confuse these guys minds as to what was going on and not to dig into it because it was national security we had joint operations with the aliens but the parallels were quite clear that the same stuff that was being fed to Belinda Howe and Benowitz and others uh, was being fed by this guy, Ron Blackburn. Now, I'm unaware of any link between Dodie Collins-Moore, that axis, and Ron Blackburn, and yet someone else on Kirtland was spreading the same stories.
3: Here's a question that I have yet to hear anybody asked. Now, on the assumption that, that UFOs, at least some UFOs, our extraterrestrial technology that have been coming here for God knows what reason. Who would be the final arbitrator on these government disinformation questions? In other words, who is authorizing these disinformation campaigns? Well, that, that's exactly how high, what I'm trying to yeah. How high does it go? How high does it go? How many people are actually in the know? And, I mean, let's face it, we know that in under American law that would be an illegal operation unless, in fact, it did deal with national security, security on a level that's above cosmic top secret. Who in the hell are the final arbitrators of this?
2: Uh, to finish the thought um, circa 1984 I filed a Freedom of information request with OSI headquarters at Bowling Air Force Base and uh, I was trying to follow up on an information I had been provided by an OSI agent. About reports supposedly held by the OSI called 24 Cs, which were interrogatories. Uh, the agents would go out and inter- interview witnesses about UFO sightings. Well, uh, my dad, in his 20-year Air Force career, was OSI for three years between 1957 and 1960. And by virtue of that fact, I had developed over the years some what I call the old boy network sources of uh, uh, retired OSI agents who were interested in assisting me in one way or the other one individual in particular, and this individual told me that uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, he remembers uh, the time frame because of the dire situation, but he was in Washington reading uh, in his capacity at, o- at OSI uh, what he estimated to be two to 300 of these 24Cs dealing with UFO sightings. Uh, that the OSI had uh, kept on file. Now, when I filed freedom of information request asking about uh, the legitimacy of that story, which I was quite sure, based on my knowledge of this, this source, who has been a longtime friend now, I was told that the OSI had only one document on on file of relating to UFOs. And guess what OSI headquarters sent me? They sent me the do- the document that Richard Gody wrote about UFO sightings, at, you know, at Kirtland in 1980. So um, in my hmm. view, you know, that's atypical. They're saying the only document they have over, you know, a 50-year period relating to UFOs is the one that's disinformation agent. Uh, has created and has been circulated. Now, in my view, my opinion is that they were attempting to bait me, They just as they did with Linda Howe and, and others. They were trying to get me interested in contacting Doty uh, to try to suck me into that. But, you know, it's, it's just highly improbable that they would have voluntarily released um, that one item, claiming it was the only document they had at OSI, in, you know, 1984 or whatever, and it was written by this bogus character. So I, again, maintain that this was not a money-making scheme by some rogue agent, Richard Doty, and, you know, Bob Collins being a hanger-on. I think this was a officially sanctioned disinformation operation, and people who were nosing into things or who were talking to me I uh, mean, Bill Moore suddenly calls one of my sources out of the blue and tells him to watch out for Hastings because he's CIA. I mean, that that's obviously fishy in my view. And uh, this guy Ron Blackburn telling these same stories that are being fed to Linda Howe. Now, this was this went on on a much broader basis at Kirtland in the early '80s than than um, you know a single rogue agent or money making hoaxer. Uh, I'm quite convinced of that.
0: So, okay. And this is what I was getting at, and and Don, you kind of jumped the the gun on that one. I was going to bring that up, which is that let's assume then that this is something that these guys are being told to do by superior officers. So let's follow the trail. Where does this go back to, and then why? And I think the why part is what most people really wonder about all of this stuff. So if you've got the government or some factions within the government spending time, resources, putting effort into this, into basically clouding the conversation, polluting the pool, creating a, a situation where people's credibility, their integrity is going to be called into question. And just in doing some research work on the O'Hare Airport UFO case, I ran into exactly this situation. And I've I've talked about it on the Paracast. I, I haven't really talked about it a huge amount publicly. UFO Magazine had asked me to write an article about it, and I didn't. I wouldn't for a number of reasons, but in in researching that case, it became clear to me that there was some high-level work going on to try to discredit people with some level of credibility and integrity in the field. And it it doesn't smack of conspiracy. It's obviously a conspiracy. It it fits the definition of a conspiracy to the T. So you guys have been looking into this for a heck of a long time the two of you what what do you think about this why is this happening
3: okay I I think it's kind of a double-edged implement if you will I think on the one hand the people in the know and I believe by necessity the people in the know it's an extraordinarily small number of people probably less than the fingers not even counting the thumb on your hand that really know anything that there is to know about this subject. That's one thing. The other edge of the sword is that I believe that it's been demonstrated not only to the American authorities, but to authorities worldwide that these technological devices have demonstrated technology that we cannot even begin to comprehend. And I think it's, it's a matter of Both fear as well as awe, if you got right down to the bottom line, uh, with the genuine the genuine unidentified objects. As a result over I came to that conclusion a long time ago, and as a result of that, when I was actively involved, I devoted myself to two areas that I thought would hold the best possibility of digging anything out that might be able to be dug out. Number one, military cases, much like what Robert has done for years and years. I mean, just on the on the surface, take a look at what he's uncovered, what Robert has uncovered with nuclear base overflights of unidentified flying objects. Mm. I mean, thinking about that, that's terrifying, not only to uh, the late person on the ground, but it's got to be terrifying to the people in authority uh, mm-hmm. positions, that these objects could not only come in and basically negate the most powerful arsenal on the planet, but they can do it with impunity. That's on the one side. The other side is, these things are not new. People have been looking up in the sky and seeing things that they cannot begin to understand, going back literally to our prehistory. So, you know, I, there's a, there's kind of a built-in effect there. It's like people, and, you know, I, I was recently talking to somebody, uh, that had asked me a question about this subject, and suddenly he went, oh my god, you know, I forgot? This happened to me, oh geez, maybe 25 years ago. Holy hell, I never even thought about that. It's like a built-in blank- blanketing effect, if you know what I'm talking about, also. Just taking a look at the people in the UFO field today that are active, they have, or very few of them, have a clue what has gone on 20, 25 years past. <laughs>
1: Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits.
2: Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to the Powercast with Gene Steinberg, David Jedney, and I completely, enthusiastically endorse this program. It's an absolutely great program with an opportunity to stretch out and talk.
1: We have Robert Hastings and Don Ecker. Don Ecker, of course, being the retired UFO investigator who is retired but not finished. <laughs> with UFO Field comes back on the show occasionally. We have Robert Hastings author of UFO and Nukes. We're talking about UFOs and disinformation. We have just a few moments left to spend with our dynamic duo. That was what I was looking for. Robert?
2: Uh, to follow up on uh, some of we, what we've been talking about in the last 10 minutes, uh, who is really, you know, where does the buck stop in the U.S. government? What agencies are involved? How high is it up? go? I will simply tell you that I know from my OSI sources that the documents that he was aware of and he personally read these 24 C's were copied to the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency. Uh, so they certainly have had access to this information. Um, I can tell you further that most of my missile sources, uh, guys who are operating ICBMs are guarding them if indeed they were debriefed, interrogated by someone other than their superior officers, it was usually an OSI agent. So OSI has been up to its neck, and according to my sources, retired OSI sources, those types of reports were routinely copied to the DIA, so there's that element. You also have in the Big Sur case two retired Air Force officers saying that CIA agents, self-identified CIA agents, confiscated the key frames of that film showing a domed disk-shaped UFO shooting down a dummy nuclear warhead. So we have anecdotal evidence from two credible sources that very sensitive nuclear weapons-related information was sent to the Central Intelligence Agency. We also know that uh, getting... Back to the principal theme of this program, disinformation, and uh, so on, that the 1953 CIA Robertson Panel, one of their recommendations uh, was that the intelligence community infiltrate civilian UFO uh, research groups or enthusiasts to monitor their activities. And I think that is, you know, that's basically uh, the same thing that went on with Bill Moore being recruited by a counter, Air Force counterintelligence group, OSI, to spy on civilian researchers. So CIA was, you know, in effect the progenitor, the the, uh, originator of that policy whereby the military and the intelligence groups would keep an eye on people like Don and I and others uh, to see what we're up to, who we're talking to, and so on. And then last but not least, the people who are probably on the telephone with us for this entire two-hour period, we have the National Security Agency who uh, has been uh, involved with gathering information on UFOs, according to to uh, at least one lawsuit in the early 80s by the Citizens uh, Against UFO Secrecy Group cause. Uh, They got the NSA to admit they had about 150 UFO-related documents, which a federal district judge refused to declassify because they related to national security, and so on. So certainly those are the big three, in my view.
0: So wait, so did this judge have to provide any kind of explanation for how NSA retrieved documents regarding UFOs or a national security? Any issue
2: my recollection of this after all these years was that barry greenwood was involved and ultimately transcripts of the documents were released that were heavily censored these are the documents was just, just the
3: preamble robert it was just the preamble to the documents the documents never saw the light of day and and the right. preamble was heavily redacted.
2: redacted so basically what done. you had is um I believe it was Judge Gerhardt Gazelle, if I'm not mistaken, who was one of the Watergate judges involved in all of that. And when COS went to federal district court to try to release these these uh, NSA documents on UFOs, NSA argued that it would compromise national security, and they presented their case in camera, that is, in the judge's chambers. And the judge came out and and ruled in the NSA's favor, and and so that information was was kept. Uh, secret. But as I... I think I mentioned to you previously when we've talked, Gene and David, um, beginning in about 1982, shortly after I went on the college lecture circuit and started talking about the UFO cover-up, I started sharing information with Todd Zeckel, and uh, he and I suddenly started having very interesting telephone problems, uh, which persist to a lesser degree to this very day. Now, in all probability, that is the National Security Agency, uh, somebody playing games, trying to rattle our cages. You know, there, there's some clear evidence, uh, both in the form of declassified documents and in the testimony of persons who were involved in the Big Sur case. And in my own case, the intelligence agencies are probably uh, much more directly involved in all of this than even the Air Force in terms of who sets policy, who implements policy, and so on.
0: But it still doesn't bring us to the why. So we know it's happening, but what's the real, I mean, I, not that we're even going to figure this out in this show, but do you guys have any handle for what it is they're hiding now? I, I had a talk the other day with, with Don about this. Don and I were on the phone talking about this, and I revealed to him what I've come to to think about this whole topic in the light of the whole disclosure movement and the push for disclosure. Uh, I've strongly come to the conclusion, and, uh, and I suspect that time will vindicate the statement, that the government can't reveal anything, because if it, if it does that, it essentially has to reveal that, yes, it has some recovered technology, yes, it knows the, of the existence of these things and this whole phenomenon. At the same time, in that admission, they have to basically reveal that they don't know much about what they've recovered. In fact, they know precious little, almost nothing. After many years of looking at it, Stephen Bassett's rants, notwithstanding, They haven't figured anything out. They do know that in the air, we don't have superiority at this point, whatever these things are. They can completely outmaneuver our technology. That Essentially, we should be happy that they haven't wanted to destroy us because if they wanted to, it probably wouldn't be very hard for them to. Again, based on what we've seen in terms of legitimate sightings of craft moving around with maneuvers and speeds that completely evade our understanding of physics and ignore them. And so, essentially this is the secret. The secret is the government doesn't know what the hell is going on and it can't reveal this because to to do that would generate a huge amount of insecurity in people and that this is the whole reason for basically trying to sweep all of this under the rug. You know, what I'm hearing based out of this, this episode is that there are people who are actively trying to discredit people with credibility to muddy the entire discussion, to make it almost impossible to even have a reasonable discussion about it. I mean, I don't want to toot our own horns around the Paracast, but in listening to other shows, I've come to the conclusion that I feel comfortable stating that we're the only show dealing with this topic in a serious way that's not primarily directed at entertainment, that this is serious stuff that we're talking about, and that we are clearly an exception in this whole situation. And we talked about George Knapp on Coast to Coast. Without George Knapp, Coast to Coast has the credibility of a mushroom. And basically, you know, Nori is, is essentially useless and, and uh, approaches this exclusively as entertainment. He's an entertainer nothing else. And so they have George on once a week to give their show some credibility. And I'm actually I'm sort of sad that George lends his credibility to that show. I'd love to see it otherwise. You know, Don, we talked about this, this whole issue of the government not being able to disclose what they know because they have to disclose they don't know much at all. Does that then sort of, if we assume that for a moment, gentlemen, in your esteemed opinions, does that fit the evidence that we're seeing and does that fit the whole disinformation campaign? What are your thoughts about that?
3: Well, I think it does. And also, once they, number one, have to admit they know very little, Mm -hmm. and number two, they have to admit that they've been lying through their teeth disinforming and disenfranchising American citizens for nigh on 60 years the next question is why in the hell would anybody wanna pay their taxes now what do I mean by that (laughs) well what does a huge amount of your tax go to national defense absolutely government comes forward and they say hey look yeah these things are here now we don't have a clue what they want Nope, we can't catch them if we want to and it's unlikely we could shoot them down And then you read Robert's report about nuclear base overflights and interference with our atomic weapons, you know, people are going to say, well, why bother? Well, a lot of people
2: would. I think uh, also if you uh, look at the so-called Brookings report on UFOs and the Rand Corporation report on UFOs people can google those if they you know want to learn out or learn what those are essentially about but uh, in 1960 basically at the request of NASA uh think tank called the Brookings Institute did a study on what would happen if uh Extraterrestrial visitation were officially confirmed and, you know, they basically said that the consequences were unpredictable, but given history on Earth, where you have a quote, superior culture coming into contact with quote, inferior cultures, and they mentioned the Europeans coming over to the Americas, <laughs> the inferior culture, quote unquote, is decimated at some point in time. Their cultural values, uh, their way of life, their concepts of reality are so disrupted that their culture is bound to either crash and burn or slowly wither away. The implication being that it's in, in the realm of possibility, according to the Brookings Institute, that if... Uh, superior intellects uh, in superior craft suddenly present themselves to us there could be dire consequences for the human race uh, you know politically culturally economically and so on basically if, if you're in, in, in some government agency and you're reading what the think tank says you might very very seriously consider the implications a former cia employee named victor marchetti who wrote the best-selling book in the 1970s the cia and cult of intelligence in which he uh... was divulging and exposing cia abuses of american law and uh counterproductive intelligence operations all around the world. Four years later in 1979, Victor Marchetti wrote an article for Second Look magazine in which he, he uh, talked about the CIA's reaction to UFOs. He mentioned among certain other things that the subject was treated very seriously, but it was so sensitive that unless you had a need to know, you did not talk about it. It was quite seriously a major need-to-know situation within CIA at the highest levels. Despite that, Mark, Hattie said, uh, there were rumors in his circle at the highest levels of the agency of crashed UFOs and the recovery of small beings from them. So this was treated very seriously, but in this article, his chief point was that you In his view, as a professional intelligence analyst, just what the Brookings Institute had said, basically the power elite, the ruling class in each country who had knowledge of the real secret that these are visitors from somewhere else, will keep that secret as long as possible, even though there's no hostile intent on the part of whoever these guys are, these critters, because the the disruptions to human society, again, in the area of political, economical, religious aspects of human life who could be so disrupted by this suddenly amazing, uh, unprecedented development in human consciousness. We're not alone in the universe. There are beings that are much higher advanced than us mentally, intellectually. Uh, you know, all people that invested their entire worldview in traditional religions suddenly have to deal with this fact. You know, do they believe in Jesus, too? Do they believe in Buddha? You know, what's going on here? So, aside from, you know, the, being evil beings coming to eat us for breakfast, you've got all these other incidental effects, that even if they're benign and wish us well and just want to let us know that we're part of a galactic community. A lot of humans are not going to take this very well, so what do you do if you know this?
1: Guys, we're just about out of time. Let us segue to a conclusion. Robert, where can we find out more information about the things you do?
2: Uh, my website is ufohastings.com. Again, I have interviewed for 35 years uh, retired military people, former military people who have a knowledge of UFO activity at missile sites. I have an articles page. Uh, I have published a book UFOs and Nukes, which is available only at my website.
1: Don Ecker, semi-retired UFO researcher. <laughs> yes. Where do we find you? Well, other than the NSA, yeah. they know where to find you.
3: Well, they, they can find me anytime they want me, but I have a blog site that occasionally I even talk about uh, the UFO subject. It's Dark Matters Radio. Com.
1: darkmattersradio.com You know, you guys make it so easy for David and I to do a show. All we have to do is say, okay, go for it, and then David and I sit back and relax and enjoy. But, <laughs> thank you both so much for joining us this week on The PowerCast.
0: My pleasure. You bet. Thanks, guys. The PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedny is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join
1: us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.